Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish tech news. Hello everyone, I'm Mary Carty and I'm here today to interview a pioneer in AI technology with Irish Tech News. I'm so excited and really honoured to speak with Dr. Rana El Kaliubi. Rana has been working on making computers and our interactions with them more human for 20 years. In other words, computers have plenty of IQ, but what if they had EQ? She holds a BA from the American University in Cairo, a PhD from Cambridge, and worked at MIT Media Lab where she spun out her company, Affectiva, in 2009, thereby creating a whole new technology category of artificial emotional intelligence. She's a Forbes Top 50 Women in Tech and a young global leader with the World Economic Forum. Her fascinating memoir, and the reason we are speaking today, Girl Decoded, My Quest to Make Technology Emotionally Intelligent and Change the Way We Interact Forever, will be published in April by Penguin Business Books. And now, a word from our sponsor, Agora Pulse. We know how hard it is to juggle all the things in your business. Accounts, meetings, the never-ending inbox. That's why we've teamed up with Agora Pulse to give you more than five hours back a week when it comes to managing your social media marketing. No complicated Excel docs, long emails, or millions of open tabs. Simply manage all your social media channels in one place. Go to www.agorapulse.com forward slash Irish Tech News to get one month free. Now all you have to do is figure out how you want to spend those spare five hours. I read your book over Christmas and the thing that really impressed me the most was and is your grit. Your de- determination, no matter what, to do what you want to do. And I think that is incredibly laudable. And I was curious where do you get that drive from? Um, I, I really think, thank you, first of all, thank you for reading the book. And, and uh, I found in writing the book that the, the thing that's most powerful is just hearing from folks who read it, what's resonated with them the most, right? Because you write this and you don't know what's going to resonate. So I appreciate you sharing your feedback. Um, when it comes to grit, I, I think... I think for me, it's having this passion, like in a driving force, right? Like I have this conviction that we ought to humanize technology. And if we don't do that, it's going to hurt us. And I think that's been at the core of, of like, you know, keeping me going. I also think seeing, you know, the work I do impact others, um, that's that often like gets me out of bed. Like if somebody says, oh, I heard you speak and you know I decided to focus on AI ethics or I I didn't think I could do my master's in computer science but then I read your story and I was like I could do it too like these kind of stories definitely keep me going as well yeah I love that um particularly around the notion about women Mm -hmm. and girls because you and I both share a massive passion about moving that agenda forward and that notion that girls cannot be 
that's hugely important. And I really like that as well, that focus in your book about how you pushed against those systems. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I'm sure you've learned a ton <laughs> around that. So I grew up, I'm originally from Egypt. I grew up um, in Cairo and around the Middle East. So in, we were in Kuwait. Um, I was in Kuwait as a young child until the first Gulf War in 1990. Uh, when we had to evacuate our, our home and, and, you know, go back to Egypt um, and then also at the United Arab Emirates. So I, I grew up around the Middle East where, you know, there's a lot of cultural norms and my parents, I have to give them credit. They were very pro education for me and I have two younger sisters as well. Um, but I, but that wasn't really the norm. Right. And, um, and even though they were very supportive of my education and my career, it's almost up to a certain point Right. And when 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 my career started to come into conflict with um, my professional, well, 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 sorry, when my career started to get into conflict with my personal life, it was very clear that I ought to drop my career. So I had to navigate that. And um, and, and then when I came to the United States and I started my company, I'm in, you know, my company is in artificial intelligence and there's very, very few women founders and CEOs in that space as well. Um, I found that I've had to navigate that world as, as well. Um, and so I've become like you super passionate about getting more female founders and female investors and female voices around the table as we design this future of our, of, of our technology and our world. Um, yeah. So for me, it's been a journey of how to figure out my voice amongst all of that and, and own it. Yeah. Cause I didn't always have the courage and the confidence to, you know, speak up and be authentic about what I really think or how I really feel. Yeah, and owning your own voice is massive in in every sense of that. And I think that brings me on really nicely to my next question, which is there are huge advantages in leading with empathy and kindness, right? And again, reading the book, what struck me as well was there's a way of doing business in business that's not exactly how women do business, if you like. Mm -hmm. And for me, there are a lot of lessons about how you lead your team and how you go about doing your business and growing your business and bringing people in, sharing that passion. So I suppose, how do you think we can encourage leaders to forge this path and not the other win at all costs, mow everybody down, dance on people's heads, you know, what lessons have you learned that you can share with other leaders? Yeah, I'm, I'm all about empathetic leadership. And again, it took me, you know, a number of years to own that style of leadership and not feel um, pressured to, to, to kind of take this kind of win at all costs approach, which is not at all who I am. So empathetic leadership essentially, you know, starts with this kind of rec recognizing that leading with empath empathy, starting with empathy with your team, with your investors, with your customers, with your potential partners is really key because it builds trust and it builds loyalty. Um, and then once you have that in place, of course, you can be decisive and, and transparent and assertive and aggressive in your goals and, and milestones. And that's really true to how I lead the team. It's I, I always tell people, don't confuse being empathetic with being weak. It, it doesn't mean I'm a weak leader. It just means mm -hmm. I'm an empathetic leader. Mm -hmm. And that's been so true with the pandemic. So when the pandemic hit, 
very quickly became apparent to me that unless I led with empathy, you know, as we're all social distanced and people show up on Zoom and you have no idea what's happening in their lives. Mm -hmm. So I, I started to start every meeting by doing a check-in, right? And I start with myself. I started kind of being very authentic and vulnerable and, and sharing how I'm finding it challenging. And that almost gave permission for others to also share openly. So that was a really powerful moment. My gosh, almost a year ago now. It's yeah. kind of a year, yeah. right? Um, and, then, and then just recognizing that we're all, you know, we each have special circumstances as we go through this really challenging time. And again, being acknowledging that and allowing for flexibility. So we have people on our team who have really young kids, very challenging, you know, because they have these toddlers at home and they have to yeah. be on meetings and da, da, da. We also have people who are, you know, are single and they, they're living alone and it's very lonely. So mm -hmm. we have to kind of cater to that as well. So I, I, I just think it's so important, especially in these times, to be empathetic. Mm -hmm. um, and humanize each other, right? Even even our customers and our and our clients, right? It's so key that we know that at the other end of this, you know, business relationship, there's actually a, a real person who's putting his or her career on the line mm -hmm. to make this partnership work. And once you do that, it becomes so you build so much goodwill. It's amazing. So I think for me, a lot of this comes down to. What are the benefits? Because we know how business has been run up to now, right? We know the type of society and culture that we live in. We've seen it. And COVID has even made all of these inequalities even more pronounced. So I suppose for you, what's the benefits to both business and society from taking that leadership style rather than the tried and tested old mm -hmm. style? Yeah, that's a great question. I talk a lot about this concept of an empathy economy. We're now moving into a world where, as a business, it's not enough to market your product. It's not enough to kind of connect with your customers and grab their attention. You have to do that with empathy. So the organizations that strike that balance of having, you know, standing for a certain mission or purpose, um, being clear on a set of core values, having a broader view of your stakeholders. It's not just about your customers. It's actually about society. Like, how is your company benefiting um, society and standing for social justice. All of these things that I think in the past were, were deprioritized or considered fluff yeah. are becoming front and center. And the organizations that are able to leverage that and do that authentically, we're finding um, are, are just kind of soaring ahead. They're, they're, they're building, they're growing their customer base. They're building an amazing brand perception um, and so we've done that from day one. I mean, I spun out the company over 10 years ago. And from the get-go, we were committed to doing, building our AI in a very ethical way and inclusive way. Um, that's really true to who we are. And so we, we you know, we, we ensure that that is front and center in our relationships. And then I'll add one more example. Mm -hmm. We have competitors, you know, all around the world and most notably, you know, competitors in China. Mm -hmm. So when we bid on business... Uh, we and it's global business, right? And especially in the automotive industry, we found that, of course, one factor is how good the technology works, and we're fortunate that our technology is state of the art and ahead. But actually, there's several examples where we've gotten strategic investments from companies that picked us 
not just because of the technology, but because of our team and our core values and how we partner openly and collaboratively and transparently. So I think it matters yeah. and we're gonna see more of that. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think that particularly this next generation and the generation behind, because I know you have two not so small people anymore and I have one not so small person anymore. Um, it's on their agenda and they are really passionate and they really understand and know what kind of world they want to be in. And we have a duty of care to those folks coming behind us um, and our kids and all the rest of it. That's really important. There's something else too around that, around ethics. There is obviously ethics and AI, and I'll come back to that in, in a second, because that is just so huge and in terms of who makes it, who uses it, who informs it. But in terms of that notion about um, to defeminize mm. your product, yeah? Mm -hmm. And finding investment for a product that people or investors might think is a little bit, should I say pink? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That kind of yeah. air quote thing. Totally. Right? This is still a massive problem. And society is losing out because we gender things that's going to help all of us succeed. So I suppose I talk to a lot of founders. I work with a lot of founders. So please give me some tips for these founders who are solving problems in this area for the benefit of all of society whose products and services may be gendered. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. First of all, on the pink, I don't know if you know that, but our brand is is hot pink. And we decided that a couple of years ago. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to own it. We Absolutely. are an emotion company, and we're going to be pink. It's okay. <laughs> um, that, that took many I years. I picked up on that. And I thought that was brilliant. So exactly. <laughs> and what's wrong with that? Seriously? Yeah, exactly. Um, but when we first spun out of MIT 10 years ago, my co-founder is Professor Rosalind Picard, and um, she and I are obviously female scientists. And um, we were raising our first kind of check, um, and we had this, you know, long trip in the Bay Area where we had lined up meetings, many, many back-to-back me -back meetings with venture capitalists in the, the Sand Hill Roadshow, it's called. Um, and, and it was tough because I want you to picture this, like two female scientists. I used to wear the hijab at the time, so I was very visibly Muslim. Um, and we were pitching an emotion company. And so we literally would have what we called it the E word and we, we would avoid using it at all costs. It wasn't in our decks. Um, we named the company Affectiva, a play on the word affect because it's less feminine than the word emotion. Mm -hmm. um, so it was really hard because we didn't look I mean, we we exclusively pitched um, to older white guys and there was very, I mean, there was almost no diversity around the table in terms of the investor community. Um, and so we didn't look like the typical founders and, and that made it very hard. But you started this conversation with grit and we were very gritty. We persevered and we ended up raising over $50 million of venture funding. Um, but it wasn't easy. I do think though, the rhetoric has changed, especially over the last couple of years. I think there's recognition that emotions drive and influence how we make decisions, how we connect and communicate. Um, so it's it's no longer the same taboo it was. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I've, I'm just owning it and, and really kind of... So, so my advice to founders who are, you know, who, who might fall into a similar category 
is to just be confident and, and all you need is you don't need everybody to love what you do. You just need one or two people who are going to have your back and support you and, 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 and don't give up on finding, you know, these support, ignore the naysayers and yes. find these finding the right fit, isn't it? That's what it's all about. And, and that's the other thing as well about your journey. I mean, a scaling startup takes money and time. Um, and to find the right money at the right time, very, very challenging. And I know there was one particular point in the book where you were offered some financing that wasn't the right fit. Can, and I just thought that's a hugely courageous move. You know, you've got people depending on their paychecks to be their children, you know, pay the mortgage, pay the rent, you know, um, and you decided not to take that funding. That that's says a whole lot. So can you tell us a little bit about why it was the wrong fit and how it worked out in the end? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll rewind a little bit. So when we spun out in 2009, Roz and I literally met around her kitchen table in her house. And we said, you know, we're in the field of building artificial emotional intelligence. So there's so many applications. And we had started with autism. That was our starting point. But we were like, we know that this can be applied in many, many industries. So where are we going to draw the line? So so we defined a number of like core values that were meant and are meant to be our North Star. So for example, we were like, we're never going to, we want to be the guardians and custodians of this technology. And so, and almost the stewards of this technology. And so if it violates people's privacy, we're going to turn the business away. So that was one core value, recognizing that you you're sharing very personal data. So you ought to get some benefit from sharing that mm -hmm. data. That was the second core value, this power asymmetry or power symmetry. Um, so fast forward in 2011, we were literally less than six months away from running out of money. And we were in the midst of refinancing. So we're talking a lot of investors. And we, we got approached by the, the venture arm of a three-letter intelligence agency. And they mm -hmm. said, we've been following the company, very intrigued by our technology. We want to give you 40 around $40 million on condition that we pivot the company to focus on surveillance and security applications. Uh -huh. And, and it, I remember going back one night and thinking about this. Um, and I tried to play it out. I tried to simulate the universe after we take that money. And it was just so not in line with our core values because usually people can't consent or don't have the opportunity to consent in these situations. And also the technology is still very early on. There's, op you know, there's potential for abuse and, and, and yeah, discrimination against certain minority populations. And that was just not in line with why we started the company. So we, we turned that funding away knowing that we may not raise. Yeah alternative funding and we might be out of business so it was a big bold decision yeah um but thankfully we hunkered down and you know since we've been able to bring on amazing investors who share our core values and our commitment to ethics and that's that i guess that's another piece of advice for other founders out there it's not just about taking money you have to align because it's going to be a tough ride no matter what. So you have to be aligned on these core values that come into play when you have to make the tough decisions. That's really key. Yeah, that's it's such it's such a fantastic case study. It's also a case study in back that word grit again and holding on to that North Star because that's a really difficult thing to do. And once that slides, where do you go? 
Um, and that's, it's such an important question. And then when we talk about AI itself, again, having a North Star, holding on to the importance of consent, um, mm -hmm. inclusivity, diversity, um, these are incredibly important things. So I suppose my question for you then is, what can we do as consumers, right, to help founders build better AI? Love that question. Thank you for asking it. So one of the reasons why I wrote the book is I feel adamant that the consumer has to, to be a voice in this conversation. And if we as consumers, I'm a consumer, you're a consumer, if we mm -hmm. vote with our feet, right, in terms of what technology we choose to use and what technology we choose not to use, it will be a very clear message that building these technologies with a with with kind of with ethics and and um yeah, eth inclusivity and consideration is going to matter. So, for example, um, we are very committed to, to building this in a very ethical way. And one key area is bias. So we need mm -hmm. to ensure that this technology is, is not biased in any way. For instance, with our technology, if you train it on just white guys, it's not going to work on people like you and me, right? Nope. Uh, so, so the more diverse the data is, the, 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 the better and the more robust the technology is. Um, but it takes a lot of it takes a lot of intentionality to, to get that to happen. Like the data has mm -hmm. to be diverse. You have to invest in making it diverse. You have to invest in data scientists who can really um, sample the data in ways that includes inclusivity. Um, so, so as a consumer, I think we need to ask more questions. Like we need to not just take this technology as a black box, but try to poke into the black box. Like, how is it built? Um, who's the team behind it? Is the team diverse, right? Like, that's really key because if it's not diverse, then there's all sorts of blind spots being programmed into this technology. Um, and then having a very open conversation about, yeah, about bias and about ethics and deployment and consent and privacy, like, Consumers absolutely have to be part of, of this dialogue. I think it comes back to what you said earlier on about you finding your voice. Mm -hmm. Consumers have to find our voice too. And we have to ask questions. And I think that tide is turning as well, particularly when you see the conversations that are happening in Australia at the moment. Yeah, like totally. so Let's try and, and educate and support and help people have this conversation that I think that's a really, really, really good point. Anyway, my final question. Um, what's next for you? Oh, um, well, first of all, um, there's still a lot to do at, at Affectiva. So we're, um, you know, we're focused on the automotive business. Um, we want to get our technology into cars to include to, to ensure that our roads are safer. So monitoring driver distraction and drowsiness. Um, I don't know how old um, your children are, but um, my daughter is driving age, so she's starting to drive and, um, you know, it's, it's stressful, right? You mm -hmm. want to make sure that, that she's safe and, and our technology can help with that. So my dream is to get our technology into millions and millions of vehicles around the world. So that I'd say that's step number one. Beyond that, I think there's opportunity for this technology to transform how we measure mental health. It's an area I'm mm -hmm. super passionate about. So I love to at some point, hunker down and explore that. Um, there's also 
especially with the pandemic, a lot of applications of the technology in, in, in how we connect and communicate digitally. So I would imagine, I know there's opportunity for innovation on telehealth and video conferencing platforms and online learning systems. So lots to do. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited to help, you know, help, I guess, new startups and new ideas come to fruition in the space. Uh, I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's been an absolute pleasure. So Rana, thank you for taking the time out today to speak to me. It's been really wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you. And now, a word from our sponsor, Agora Pulse. We know how hard it is to juggle all the things in your business. Accounts, meetings, the never-ending inbox. That's why we've teamed up with Agora Pulse to give you more than five hours back a week when it comes to managing your social media marketing. No complicated Excel docs, long emails, or millions of open tabs. Simply manage all your social media channels in one place. Go to www.agorapulse.com forward slash Irish Tech News to get one month free. Now all you have to do is figure out how you want to spend those spare five hours. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News, on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news, on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE, and on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.